funny week. We had my a little boys are going through all sorts of things. So Judah, Judah had a moment where he just he wanted to know what's this God thing about? What's heaven about? I want to go to heaven. So I heard Cans praying with him. I heard this whole discussion going on, asking deep questions, deep like what happens to my mate Johnny, and and what God loves us like big questions. And then an incredible moment of a little five-year-old saying a prayer of salvation because he wants to be loved by God. And now he's asking, what's this baptism thing? These are cool moments. These are amazing little moments. We are, other little Ben is at a different dev- developmental stage. This morning he lost his dinosaur. If you have a three-year-old boy, that's a big thing in the life of a three-year-old boy. And so Candace said, why don't you pray for your dinosaur? And he just started going off. He must have prayed for like three minutes straight about, God, please find my dinosaur. Candace left him. He just kept praying. Then we hear, Amen. And this little oak was off to find his dinosaur. He believed God was going to show him. So doing, doing Christianity with our kids is a good thing. We're having fun. So we are actually going to pick up for the next two weeks on what Gabe kicked off last week called, There Goes the Neighborhood. There goes the neighborhood. And today I'd like to speak about something called ordinary radicals. It's a, a, a phrase coined by a guy, Shane Claiborne, a real challenge to the church. It just preaches a gospel about getting your hands dirty in the world because we are full of the Holy Spirit and made holy by Him. So I'm speaking about ordinary radicals in the context of there goes the neighborhood. And, and you heard it, Gabe kicked it off last week. Is It's that statement that gets said, when you move into an area or you've been in an area for 30 years, you were the first to build on the block. There was no one else, just sand dunes. And then the neighbors moved in and it was that statement, well, there goes the neighborhood. They have three kids. There goes the neighborhood. He's a cabriolet driver. I mean, who drives a cabriolet? I mean, there goes the neighborhood. He's wearing a Bluebills shirt. Imagine the noise. Captain, Captain, I mean, imagine. You know the statement. It's this, it's this defeatist statement like, flip, now what? I've got to move. I've got to go further. I've got to go to Milkbos, and then I've got to find some hill. I can live in Bloberg Hill on my own. And it has all these triggers. It's the Bluebills jersey. It's all these things. And it's followed by this defeatist statement, well, it's time to move on. A, a defeatist statement. And the challenges, we hear it a lot. I hear it a lot from Christians, mostly on Facebook. <laughs> mostly as we hear statements, we talk about our culture, and we're actually the response of a believer, the response of where our hope is in Jesus. Well, it's time to bring change. Not it's time to leave. It's time to see the King of glory ride into our area and change. Bring light and life to the darkest places of our city and to redeem and restore. It's time to influence it's an amazing thing. Even this morning, just jumped onto the news, you would have seen there's a petrol price coming, petrol price increase. And these things are real. I'm not going to hide and say, let's be the eternal optimist. We're just totally not. They're just real things. I'm not saying, let's get stoked about a petrol increase. But our response is important. And I, and I love reading comments on blogs. and I love reading the comments. It's like, it's better than going on a game drive. Because the animals come out on the comment section. It's incredible. And some of them were, boy, oh boy, what a country. The, my favorite was, I need a hug. Because the petrol price came up. Time to move to the, move to the Mideast. Really? 
interesting. This sucks. This will be the last straw that breaks the camel's back. And I pray, God, not your church, please. Because of a petrol price increase. Let's get on our bicycles and pedal. One for Helen. (laughs) But let's pedal. Not asking for blind optimism. I'm asking for nothing, but definitely not, there goes the neighborhood. Definitely not time to move on. Everyone's got a neighbor story. Everyone. Most of my stories, I was that neighbor. I was the eight-year-old kid who got given him Wimbledon tennis racket. It was the heat back in the day. I mean, it was the racket. And I felt the best way to use my new tennis racket was to hit about a hundred granadillas just into the air. What I didn't realize is our neighbor's house was built like a hacienda, so all the roofs flowed into his pool that was his prized possession. And I just kept hitting for days. Bing! Until this angry man arrived at our door. And I saw that look on his face. Well, there goes the neighborhood. And my father took me around to his house and I had to get in the pool and take a hundred granadillas out of his pool. I was the guy shooting cars with the BB gun as they drove past on one of the busiest roads on Durban. I was that kid. I, um, I had the habit. We lived on the top of the barrier and I loved golf. So I would have the habit of taking my eight iron and, and unleashing with mighty force a golf ball and waiting for the noise. Didn't matter if you hooked us last. You just waited for the ding as it hit the roof and then hit the next roof. This is a confession. We're just getting it out. I don't want you to find this out via the news one day. You need to pray for me. I'm repenting publicly. And, um, and, and these are true stories, but gave through this challenge at us that one, you've got more than enough to influence. You just need one day of walking with Jesus, one touch of His love, and one touch of His redemption. You are a new creation, and you have more than enough to bring hope into the darkness places. And then he made this incredible statement from the Scripture in Matthew 10, Pack lightly. Be generous. You know what totally disarms anger is generosity. What totally disarms animosity is humility. And generous humility. It just disarms it. It's like, you know when the guy cuts you off? All they need to do, I, could, I can feel it rising up. We're all there. I'm a pastor. It happens. And it rising up and everything inside me just holding the stereo. And all the guy just goes, sorry. And it's just gone. It's just gone. Imagine we could be those people. And God is calling us. And in this series, He's wanting to speak to us. He's challenging our comforts. He's challenging, let's go with the flow. Let's, let's get along with the big tune that everyone's singing of bringing us down. Speaking negativity over our country. Let's not be those people. He's challenging us that the call of every believer is to get down and dirty in people's lives in the city. I love it that people in this, in this commu- congregation are a part of Tableview Networks and involved in restoration and involved in picking up rubbish. I love it that people are running into counseling for addictive people with addictions. I love that. And the church are the ones called to run and and get down and dirty. We can't worry about getting dirty. His holiness is given to us. We don't need to be worried that the enemy can take it from us. He can't. As you can see, I'm a little excited about this. 
He's reinforcing the message that we're just going to keep reinforcing that every believer is a missionary. Stu's a missionary. Tim's a missionary. I don't know your name, so I will, Clinton. I have met you, Clinton. It's Elsa. How are you doing? That was a blow. I just was going to carry on. Hello. It's lovely to see you again. Hi, Clinton. But Clinton's a missionary. And we, these guys, we go with the message every day. Teachers into schools, business people into businesses, housewives into the area of the city as we love on people. We go with the message of hope. We go with the message of love. We go with the message that will confound this world. That's our privilege. It's not my job as a preacher or, or people in ministry. That's the biggest lie we've ever preached. And it's been preached. And we've got to get to these things. Mother Teresa said this thing, Calcuttas are everywhere if only we have eyes to see. Find your Calcutta. In the middle of Santon, there is a Calcutta, a brokenness, a destitution of spirit that needs the love of God. In the middle of the wealthiest areas, under the mountain, Calcuttas needing the love of God. And God is challenging us that His gospel is a gospel of power. His gospel is a power that breaks open brokenness, breaks the chains over cities. We are not defeated. The king is on his throne. His love is pouring and pouring and pouring out, not just into the church buildings of the city, but the walls come down and it flows into the world around us. That is the gospel. I am very excited. So what is your vocation? Yes, I know it's a word used for pastors, it's a word used for those in ministry, but what's your vocation? See, all vocation is, is, is understanding something of the call, something that God has spoken, that you are suited, that you are trained for. What's your vocation? Not what's your occupation. What do you do? Like Gabe said last week, maybe you're a barista and you work and you serve coffees. No, you are a bean revivalist in the city. Accountants, revivalists, reformers. See, amazing thing, I want to be someone who more than my job as a pastor, I want to walk out, God, you have called me into this area to throw and sow my life in. To this city and to this nation and to the darkest parts of the city, to throw myself in. And I want to be finished at the end of it. That when I get to the end of my life, I am spent. I hate doing a race. I, I do some canoeing and I hate getting to the end and flip. I've got energy. I didn't know the, the finish was so soon. I've got too much energy left over. I don't want to get to the end of my life and think I'm not spent. I didn't pour it all out. I think that would be my greatest regret. See, Jesus... How do we know he knew his calling? How do we know he understood what he was called to and he did it? It's with one word at the end of his ministry on earth. He says, Tetelesta. It is finished. That word Tetelesta doesn't mean it's finished. It means completely complete. There was nothing more that could be done. Nothing more that Jesus could have done. And he stands there and they ridiculed him and they shove vinegar in his face when he asks for a drink. And he breathes out these last words. He whispers, Tetelesta. It's accomplished. It's done. 
He's saying, Father, you sent me as a suffering lamb, as the lamb of God to be sacrificed for the salvation of the world. It's done. I'm spent. He's saying, Father, you sent me in to be hated and persecuted as a baby. It's done. I'm spent. See, you sent me in, Father, to live 30 years in Nazareth in the middle of nowhere. To not impact for 30 years and to work as a common tradesman. It's done. Father, you sent me in. You called me to go to the Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist, a man. It's done. Then, Father, you called me to be overwhelmed both with suffering and satisfaction on that cross. And the chains came down and you called me to that place. My vocation, my calling, it's done. To go through the agony of that garden to the sweating of blood, being spat upon, flogged at the pillar with a crown of thorns, carried while people mocked me. Father, it's done. I want to get to the end of my life whatever that looks like, whether it looks like more satisfaction or more suffering, where I can stand before the one who counts, the only audience that matters, and say, Father, it's done. I want that thing. And Jesus knew his vocation. He said, as he stood there, and everyone thought he was this madman. He says, I've been called to preach the good news to the poor. I've been called to set the captives free. I've been called to give sight to the blind. I've been called to set the oppressed free, uh, to bring salvation to all, and to lay my life down. Jesus knew his vocation. What's your vocation? Salesman? Fireman? What's your vocation? What's... Deep inside, what's the thing maybe that you fight every day to suppress? What's the thing that Jesus, that the Father birthed inside of you so deep and every idol that would put itself above is trying to keep down? What's your vocation? See, I think radicals live with vocation. See, one thing changes it at all. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. It changes everything. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Jesus breaks into my life and it says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Our perspective changes. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. The day Jesus broke into my life, the day I responded to his love, the day I said he is king, I'm not the same person anymore and you are not the same person anymore. The vocation or calling you had changes in an instant. The things you had perspectives of change in an instant and Jesus makes us new. And we struggle to get our minds around that, but that's what's happened. All that is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We've been given his ministry. Everything that Jesus was called to do. Set the captives free. Give sight to the blind. You were handed that ministry. He gave it to you. He gave it to me. He didn't give it to the fancy big names on TBN. He gave it to the ordinary radical walking the streets. 
that God was reconciling the world, not the church, reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, not being prejudiced by their sins. As he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as through Christ we're making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who has no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The whole thing changes. Where once before I would take, I would break, I would steal, God gives me the ministry of reconciliation. And he says, you do everything. And he does it through me. He does it through you. See, what happens is there was this grand transaction and says, Christ is in me. Not God leaving and moving on and choosing. When, he's with me on Wednesdays when I go to home group. No, He's in me. But Ephesians tell us I am in Him. And because He's in me, He wants to touch the world through you and me. And the church has been fed a lie that bring people to church and get, let the pastor get them saved. Bring people to church and the pastor will tell them about the love of God. Bring people to church and someone will do something good. But I cannot. And Gabe told you last week, if you have one touch of his love, you have a story to tell. You have grace to give. It's a radical challenge. The old is gone. Our perspectives are gone. Our attitudes become exactly the same as Christ. Philippians 2. This gospel is a challenging gospel. I'm preaching this and I'm standing here going, yes, you failed this week. My wife's here. I can't lie. But it's got to ignite us. It's got to excite us. It's got to set us up for a different future. Into a different inheritance. The old has gone. See, we are ambassadors. So everything Jesus is. You know after that scripture to, where it says to set the captives free, the oppressed. It goes on. It says, then he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back. And he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus says that. And then there's the scripture in verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Lisp, lips. <laughs> Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. So they, they say he's gracious. Thanks for the wine, guys. They say he's gracious. They say he's amazing. But then they ask this question, but isn't that Joseph's son? Isn't he just a carpenter? Isn't he just, didn't he come from Nazareth? And it's the same question that gets asked of you of me every day. That someone in your office is broken and bruised. Their marriage is falling apart. And something inside of you rises up and say, go help them. Not go take them to church. Not go get them to a marriage course. Just help them. Just love them. And the, and the enemy speaks in a lie. says, aren't you just Dave's son? Aren't you just Ayanda's son? Aren't you just Fred's daughter? Aren't you just from a little dorpy in a little town sitting on a farm? And 2 Corinthians has to rise up and say, No! The old has gone. The new has come. I'm a son of God. I have a message of hope into the darkest places. It changes everything. This is going to make us a little uncomfortable. Because it's easy to put the responsibility somewhere else. 
easy to point to a message of hope. You can't point to a sign. You are the sign. You're the greatest sign and wonder this world will ever know. I've seen legs healed. I've seen broken bones fall into place. I've seen scars disappear. But the greatest sign and wonder is a son and daughter of the living God who walks secure and whole. So amazed yesterday. Where's Henry? I saw you. Henry George, are you here? Just um, bumped into Henry. They're going through quite a time. And I don't even know them that well. When we arrived, something big broke in their world. And I feel like I've missed it, but I know some of the elders are very involved and hands-on. But I bumped into them yesterday, and I just encountered the grace of God. I encountered the security of a son and a daughter who know that they are loved in the midst of a storm. I encountered heroes. I encountered a son, a sign, and a wonder. Is there still disease? There's still disease, and we keep praying for healing. But there's still a great sign and wonder. And you are a sign and wonder. Sons and daughters are the answer. Sons and daughters are the ordinary radicals. Shane Claiborne says, All around you people will be tiptoeing through life just to arrive at death safely. But dear children, do not tiptoe, run, hop, skip, or dance. Just don't tiptoe. Just going to make it to the end. Just going to get there. We never lived, we never skipped, we never hopped. God is calling us to a radical faith and it's a radical challenge. See, we say life changes are people of influence. It's a statement of faith, it's a declaration of who we are and God is calling us to influence. But to do that, what has to change is our perspectives. What has to change is our attitudes, like 2 Corinthians, become new. And the old falls away into influence for Jesus. Because we can influence for many things. But to influence for Jesus and for his kingdom, his perspectives, his attitudes need to shape our thinking. There's a man, Andy Crouch, who speaks about culture. And the culture around us. And culture is just what human beings make of the world. Cape Town has cultures. We love the mountain. When the wind stops blowing, we go to the beach. We love coffee. Coffee is everywhere. We got these things that are important. They're part of the culture. And we got the hipsters and they roll their jeans up and they're very tight. And we got the others who love their wildlife so they wear their wildlife kits all the time. We're all part of a culture somewhere. The church has got subcultures. And we, the challenge is we begin to establish those things as values of the gospel and they're just cultures. They're just things we're a part of. And God says actually get stuck in and redeem those cultures. This man, Andy Crouch, throws a challenge to the church and he says, he says there are gestures and there are postures of the church. And he says there are these four, there are these incredible different gestures. It's like, you know the things. So someone comes to you and, and, and you stand back like this. You say, yeah, no, I'm listening to you. I love you. They're hearing, he doesn't want to be listening to me and he definitely doesn't love me. Someone comes to your door and the door's kind of half open and the gate's still locked and it's like, hi. Yo, no, carry on. We're praying for you. <laughs> or, or, or it's, <laughs> you get, get to lunch and it's, yeah, let me get that bill. And the wallaby hucker comes out. It's like, oh. Now every, <laughs> you know the wallaby hucker? 
It's a little different. And it's the posture more than often reveals really what's going on in the heart, not what gets said. We know that. And there are these gestures that are real. There's the first one he says is a condemning gesture. Oh, that's just the world. It's just hipsters. <laughs> and we condemn so quickly and so easily. There goes the neighborhood. And sometimes there is a gesture where the church does condemn. Child pornography, we condemn. Slavery, condemn. There are times where the church takes a, post, a gesture of condemning, and it's okay. But we cannot stay there because of one example, one moment. We kick back into Christ and His redemption. The second thing he says is the church is so good at critiquing. We stand on the periphery, we think, of society, and we just critique. And we throw our things in. And there is moments where we are called to critique. And we have to have an opinion that gets spoken about with truth and grace being poured out and love being poured out. But we cannot have a posture. Posture is with us all the time. I had a mate who played senior rugby, he was six foot six, but he was so confident, so conscious of his height that he almost began to lean over. And I said to him, buddy, one day, I said to him one day, I would love to be six foot six. I was probably five foot six at the time. He said, I would love to be six foot six. Stand up, put your shoulders back, and enjoy it. Because not everyone has that view. Our posture is with us all the time. We cannot have a posture at the church that the first encounter when we encounter the world is a critique. Rap music. You know where we do it? We do it in the gray areas. Ah, smoking, and we throw it out. Show me in the Bible where we cannot smoke. I don't like smoking, and I don't think it's good for people. I know that. But we've got to be very careful what we make gospel. Yeah, yeah, Tattoos. From the devil and the whole, we're going to lose the whole next generation because they think they're great. They love tattoos. And the church stands and says, how can you get tattoos? You are abusing the temple of the Lord. I think Jesus has a tattoo. <laughs> Revelations. Jesus comes riding back in and says he's got King of Kings and Lord of Lords written on his leg. I don't think it's in Koki. But our front posture, our posture to the world is so important. When someone comes in your home, if you want to make them feel welcome, you run and get them tea, you welcome them, you, you appreciate them. And yet at the church, we've had this condemning front foot, we've had this critiquing front foot. The next one is we just copy. We just get sucked into what the world does. We don't even think. We just carry on. So we try be the hippest and we try do the thing, we try look no different. The problem is we don't look stand for anything then. That is not a posture that will change the world. That is not a posture that will call people to love Jesus and be loved by Jesus. And the last one is we just consume. We're just consumers, the same way the world's a consumer. We look no different. We consume the same things. We're just takers. You know what happens when the gospel gets inside of us? We go from a taker to a giver. That's why when we come to church, and we say serving, and everything inside of us goes, no, I'm just a taker. And we say, no, we're a family. In families, we are givers. My five-year-old boy has part to play in the life of our home. So when Ben was looking for his dinosaur, I said, buddy, 
please go look for your, your brother's dinosaur. And he was so stoked, he found the dinosaur. He says, Ben, here's your dinosaur. We are givers in family, and we are givers to our city. Jesus took the old takers and gave us the new givers. It changes everything. This is the gospel. It's not comfortable. It's not meant to be comfortable. But it's full of grace and full of love and full of freedom. And we land and Crouch lands his argument in two areas that I believe wholeheartedly. It says the first one, we are actually called to create culture and we are called to cultivate it. What happens? Go out. They get sent out. They go and go cultivate the land. Go and grow. We are ambassadors. We have power and authority to go and do what Jesus says. You are co-creators with Christ. He breathes life into my children. He says, actually, invest in them and create win with me. With the Holy Spirit inside of you. Christians should be the most creative people in the world. And you know the stories about Cadbury chocolates coming from the Quakers and, and Lever Brothers coming from Quakers, men and women who sat in the presence of God and God revealed the design of peanut butter and all these stories about men and women who just got ideas from God, whose lives were falling apart and they had the courage to take a moment out and say, God, the old is gone, the new has come, so will you speak? Creatives who say actually sex isn't the only way to sell a product. God can speak to me and give me strategy to open up and to sell the product for my company. This is my God. I have big faith. He wants to do this in and through us. So we get stuck into the world. We get involved in culture. We get involved in the world around us. We don't keep our hands clean. I like my hands clean. Confession. Sometimes I wash them more than once. Is that okay? But when it comes to getting involved in the world, when it comes to looking to transform and change, when it comes to seeing the broken be made whole, when it comes to seeing hands laid on the blind so they can see, I want to get my hands dirty. Trust me, the first time I prayed for someone who was completely deaf and they got healed, I was more shocked than them. I actually didn't believe them. I told them to go away and bring me the papers. How much of a heathen am I? And he brought the papers. And the funny thing is, he'd be starting to talk, he'd been deaf forever, he'd never spoken. It took him months to learn how to speak. He brought papers, he not only got healed of hearing, his diabetes got taken, he was giving himself shots every day. Doctor's papers. Jesus is good, and he wants to use you, and he wants to use me. So we don't say, there goes the neighborhood. So we shout, here's an opportunity for the King of Kings, and the glory of God to come in and change. Christ is the Redeemer, and He gives us a vocation. See, who's going to speak into the sex in the city? And I'm not preaching a moralistic God. I'm saying, who's going to bring right perspective about sex and marriage? Who's going to do it if not the sons of God? Yeah. Or can we say that word in church? We can say a lot of words in church. When the Redeemer is over them, and He redeems culture. And he takes broken cultures like he takes broken people and he breathes in his life. Who will redeem poverty? If not, the redeemer. Who will redeem crime? Politics. We should have Christians in politics declaring that Jesus is the way. Who will redeem unemployment, equality issues, abuse, a lack of understanding and finances? 
See, we can say one thing, and we, but our posture gives away. Are we the church? So we bomb an offering over the hill, 10 k's away to a township, but we stay in our four walls and we're safe. I've done it for years. I haven't seen the desired result. The only way is when men and women touch and the poor begin to teach the rich about community, about love, about trusting God for your food, for your children. And we start seeing the dynamic of the gospel shifting and shaping us. And we stop saying, here goes the neighborhood. See, the challenge is culture is not my enemy. The enemy is my enemy. Prosperity is not my enemy. The enemy is my enemy. The world is not my enemy. The enemy is my enemy. And people are not my enemy. Doesn't matter what they believe. Doesn't matter what they do. The enemy is my enemy. <laughs> I am. Um, I really love Jesus. I love him more than my comforts. I love him more than saving face. I remember when I got asked onto leadership at the church in a full-time capacity, it was one thing being a guy who went to church on Sunday and people thought you were a little weird. It was another thing, you're going to give up years of study and years of working your butt off to go and serve him wholeheartedly. And my friends were running to me going, you gone nuts. And family members who love Jesus were going, you've gone nuts. And people in the church were going, you've gone nuts. But I love Jesus and I believe in the power of his gospel. And I believe he wants to do it in and through each and every one of us. This is not an exclusive gospel. I don't care what language you speak. I don't care what economic demographic you come from. Jesus is the Redeemer. Can you stand together? I feel, please, if... uh, If I in any way came across as angry or it really was not my intention. But this gospel has to grip us, the church, before it's going to change the world. It's just got to grip us. And maybe you're going to go home challenged today. That's okay. I would ask you to ask of God. Respond to Him. Even as we worshipped earlier, just want to take a moment. Let's respond to Him. Is that all right? Just Jesus, I thank you for every person here. Thank you for your love for every person here. And I also thank you for your love for every person in this city and this nation and this world, God. We don't understand the hearts, the depths, the breadths of your love. We cannot fathom. But I pray birth your love so deep inside of us that we would not be the ones saying, there goes the neighborhood. We would be the ones saying, It's time for Jesus to shine through my life, through my family, through my business, through whatever ministry he's called me to, to the lost, to the poor, to the divorced, to the broken, whatever. So if you would join with me and just say, Jesus, have your way in my life, I pray. Jesus, have your way. I pray your grace on every person, God. I pray your courage where the enemy would say, aren't you just Bob's son? 
Aren't you just Fred's son? Aren't you just Israel's son? I pray courage to stand and the answer to rise up. I am a son or a daughter of the living God today.